I'm Brett McGarry. Last week I previewed a returning hit on Netflix. This week I will review Dead to Me. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I watched the new David Spade movie and it was awful. Awful entertaining. And while so many are enjoying The Last Dance, that Michael Jordan documentary, including The Couch Potatoes, we read some stuff this week that pointed out you might want to take a closer look. Next time on the season finale of Survivor. Sarah, please think about it. I'm trying to shake up this game. What are we going to do now, Ben? Now I go into panic mode. You, Ben, go into panic mode. This battle is not over. Join us for the finale of Survivor Winners at War. And massive Survivor spoilers ahead if you haven't watched the finale yet. The 40th season ended this week after undoubtedly its best season ever. And thanks to the pandemic, host Jeff Probst read the final votes and announced the winner live from his garage. Eight votes, Tony. Four votes, Natalie. The winner of Survivor Winners at War, Tony. Tony won, and here's how it went down. Natalie won the Edge of Extinction Challenge after almost losing it in embarrassing fashion and re-entered the game after being booted out first on day two, and Brett came roaring back into contention in our work pool with that. Yeah! Michelle, <laughs> Michelle won the Next Immunity Challenge, a challenge she has won before. Natalie, Tony, and Ben had idols. All of them were used, and Denise went home, and I was out of the work pool with that. Tony, of course, is a prime target, but he won the next immunity challenge, so Ben went home. Then Natalie won the final immunity challenge. She pit Tony and Sarah against each other in fire-making. Tony won that, so Sarah went home. So then we had the final three of Natalie, Michelle, and Tony, and Tony won by a total vote of 12-4. to 4. It was a tense finale from top to bottom. Uh, th- thanks to all the Natalie stuff, I was rooting for Tony, and he had a hard uphill climb for a lot of that finale as Natalie just overpowered everyone. I would have been upset if she won, I think, as impressive as everything she did on Extinction was, I think I've, I guess I'm just enough of a purist to think that the strategizing and scheming over the over the votes is the most important aspect of the game, and she didn't have to do any of that. Plus, she had all that time to make friends with the jury, none of whom she crossed, as she had zero effective votes. Um, if it had been a more recent player coming back, like Kim or Nick or Jeremy, I might have been more cool with it because they played more of the game. In the future, I think they need to cap Extinction Island at the merge. On the other hand, the Extinction Island stuff was the scene of a lot of great television this season, so it's hard to be upset about it. In that same vein, I don't like the fire-making thing at the Final Four. I'd rather see scheming and voting that deep in the game. Again, though, it was thrilling to watch this week, so I'm sure it'll stay. And frankly, by day 39, they should all be experts at making fire. Like, how is everyone not practicing that for an hour a day on the chance that they'll need to do it at the end? That's kind of weird. Brett, what do you think of the finale? Well, I just, I guess I first want to touch on the extinction stuff because I I sort of I'm I've mixed emotions on yeah. whether or not someone who comes back from the edge of extinction should win partly for the reasons you outlined like they weren't actually playing the game proper but if this is now an element of the game as outlined by the producers and you enter this game knowing what you're getting into then that's 
just part of the game. And if you get back in, you earn your way back in after going through the hell that they went through on the edge of extinction, then you are just as deserving to be there. Plus, she really, she came back and kicked some butt in those challenges. So I was thrilled to see her get back into the, uh, to make it to the final three. And not just because I had her in my work pool. Like, I think I actually got into the work pool after she had already been voted out. So, oh, really? Yeah. And I, I don't know if, it, if I can't remember exactly how that went down. But uh, when I saw that my first pick was Natalie, I thought, oh, God, that sucks. She's already gone. Uh, my other pick was Sophie. So, yeah, I thought, oh, my God, I've got a chance. And then when she started getting votes in the, the, the final vote, I thought, oh, boy, is, this, is it going? <laughs> be Natalie but um, yeah as far as my thoughts go overall I best season yet as you pointed out gripping all the way through even it's weaker episodes were still enthralling because every season of Survivor has a couple of episodes that just don't really cut the mustard but uh, this one did not have anything like that some of the best challenges we've ever seen some of the most exciting challenges we've ever seen the loved ones visit we touched on that a few weeks back it wasn't a complete waste of time it was genuinely moving I always hate the loved ones visit well not always I've grown to hate them because it's just so like can we just get on with it already like like, yeah, like, what do we care about what anybody's wife is? You know what I mean? Or her husband or anything. So it's like, who cares? Get on with it. Yeah. It was nice this, nice this time because they brought their whole yeah. families and they all got to have a party together and commiserate. And it was it, this was right when the pandemic was first starting and we were all super... I mean, we're, not that we're not lonely now, but at the time it just was... It, it felt like we needed that episode of Survivor in that moment. I was sad to see that Michelle didn't get a single vote, but I did like how the jury applauded the three of them on making it to the end and how they made it to the end. And it was nice to see that level of respect as opposed to the bitterness we sometimes see come from members of the jury or how they they point out that one person doesn't deserve to be there, that she just got taken there because uh, she's a goat or whatever. Uh, So I dug that. I did want to touch on Sarah's speech about gender bias, though, because she made this, this speech about how if you, if she competes like some of the sneaky guys, like if she were to play like Tony, then people would, would frown upon her. I mean, it was a great speech. And uh, in saying this, I don't want to attempt or make it sound like I'm attempting to discount her experience, nor do I want to suggest that she's wrong, because who am I, a man, to say she's wrong about her experience as a woman? But it struck a chord for me on a personal note, because I think I've never watched Survivor and thought, oh, that that sneaky woman, that, that B-word when a female contestant did something devious, at least not because she's a woman. I mean, maybe it didn't look... Maybe if I didn't like her, period... But there are men and women whom I really like every season, and there are ones whom I really hate. I don't see the gender in terms of the game. I just see good players and bad players. I mean, look at Parvati, for example. She's a beautiful, sexy, charming woman, and she knows it, and she used that to her advantage through the years. It was a tool in her kit, and she played it well, and guess what? She eventually won one of her seasons. She was sneaky and manipulative, and I believe, was it the... Did she win Heroes versus Villains? I literally have almost no recollection of anything Parvati has ever done. Everyone says she's like one of the four best players ever. I 
I barely recall her ever being in the game. That's like my. Uh, I'm, I'm worried for my mental health that I can't remember. <laughs> like seasons past or whatever so yeah. uh, so I, I don't know man <laughs> it look no it looks like she pardon me she won the uh the fans versus favorites okay. season but uh yeah she was often painted i think as a villain because of her sort of diabolical the diabolical way she played but i never had a problem with her for that and i've never had a problem with any of the contestants just because they're women so and again i'm not trying to make it sound like sarah's wrong i'm uh, just pointing out from my own personal point of view and personal observation i have never ever thought that uh, I, I cheer for the men i cheer for the women i often if, if it's i like i remember there was one season where there was one guy left and this was one of the earlier seasons i think his name was chris it was one guy and uh i think there were six women left it was he, on vanuatu I I don't know why I remember that. But wow. Well, and you, you remember how he actually voted out his uh, his male ally because he had to. And he said, I'm, this is not a vote uh, against you. This is a vote for you. I'm going to burn them all down. And he ended up winning the season. So that was a great underdog story. But vice versa, if it was the other way around and it was five men left and one woman, I'm going to vote for I'm going to root for the underdog every time. So, uh, yeah, but uh, just great season, though. Such a good season. Even if the finale was a full three hours, which I wasn't expecting. I know it's always three hours, but usually it's two hours and a bit. And then you get the reunion show. But this time it went almost the entire di- like there were the final eight minutes i think were the uh the reveal of the winner yeah that's what i was i brought that up last week i was like they've got way too many people plus one coming back to pull this off in two hours how are they ever going to do that and the answer was they're not we're going to take up an extra whole hour of gameplay and but I, I would have much rather watched all that extra game that we got yesterday than the reunion stuff which after the first five minutes is almost is rarely worth watching to be honest yeah and it would have been even more painful with everybody uh, dialed in on the video chat i mean it was kind of neat to see you know and probst sort of made light of the fact that he was in his garage and he talked about how they sent him these crates where he had to put together the set himself the detailed instructions on how to do it so i kind of liked that sort of look behind the curtain but i would not have been able to watch a full hour reunion show like that but a great season overall and they said jeff said at the end that they are committed to airing a new season of survivor this fall but uh i don't see how that's going to happen because they uh, there's no way they're going to be able to shoot it for weeks if not months yeah I didn't understand that at all. He made it sound like they hadn't shot anything yet and were still like taking applications, but it's mid-May, and if it comes back in September, there's they should be mostly done the season already. Well, here's what Jeff Probst had to say about the next season of Survivor. Let's talk about our 41st season because normally we show you a cool promo. For obvious reasons, we haven't been able to shoot, but man, we have some fun ideas. We're always trying to explore and evolve the show and take chances, and we're going to do that, and we're committed to being on in the fall with our 41st season which means you should apply, especially if you're young. I'm talking teenagers, 16, 17, 18, 19, do it. Cool parents in a cool school, who knows, it could happen. Up next on the Couch Potatoes, there is a movie out this weekend that was meant for theaters, but it is being released digitally. We will tell you what that is next. You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Jeff Braun. We are the Couch Potatoes. Let's have a look now at what is coming to home video, starting with this movie that was intended for the theater. We've now got our second big digital release. It's Scoob. 
Scoob, do you realize where we are? No. Look around, man. The clean, modern aesthetic, the cool blue color palette. We're in Ikea. The Falcon Fury. Did you say Ikea? Nope, I said Falcon Fury, just like you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Shaggy and Scooby were taken? Yeah. This blue light came down from the sky and beamed them up. I can't, I, I can't breathe. I'd have to assume that if they were with their friends, they wouldn't have been kidnapped. Okay, can you skip the emotional punishment? All right, so Scooby-Doo back on the big screen for another animated adventure. So this uh, movie says that it reveals how lifelong friends Scooby and Shaggy first met and how they joined up with the young detectives Fred, Velma, and Daphne to form the famous Mystery Inc. Now with hundreds of cases solved and adventures shared, Scooby and the gang face their biggest, most challenging mystery ever, a plot to unleash the ghost dog Cerberus upon the world as they race to stop this global dog apocalypse. The gang discovers that Scooby has a secret legacy and an epic destiny greater than anyone imagined. No reviews yet as of Thursday afternoon on Rotten Tomatoes, but uh, it's tough to go wrong with Scooby-Doo, at least in animated form. Uh, Scooby-Doo is Scooby-Doo, Jeff. I know, and, and I mean, let's be honest here. Whoever the janitor is at whatever old mansion they're at, he's the one that did it, people. <laughs> it's always him. It's always him. Yeah. Because it's like the gang, a ghost, and then just some random stranger, right? And they always turn out to be the one. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And it's like the, you know, new 3D animation, not like the old Scooby-Doo cartoons that you and I grew up on. So that's that's sort of cool. I've I've got friends with kids who say they just still love Scooby-Doo. So there's clearly an audience for this. And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for those blasted kids. Hopefully we hear something (laughs) like that. So that is out uh, Friday, May 15th for Digital HD. And uh, we'll be curious to see how that does. That Trolls World Tour did very well with its digital release. What have we got uh, on video? There's a big one on video on demand. Yeah, and it was also supposed to come out in theaters at one point in its uh, in the planning, as they said, but it ended up coming out on video on demand this week, and it stars Tom Hardy. It's called Capone. Guys like you own this place, ten million dollars. If you ever get him to talk, he's gonna go on a rampage. We made a promise. Someday we was gonna make it big. The only thing that really matters is how a man shoots his family. It almost sounds like he says how a man shoots his family in that clip, uh, but yeah, I think he I think he says treats his family. So yeah, Capone, Tom Hardy, what do you think of this? As the uh, as, uh, as legendary Chicago gangster Al Capone, and it's set when he's a little bit older, uh, 47, I believe, and after he's been in prison for a decade already. And uh, he starts apparently showing signs of dementia, but maybe some people think it's a trick or whatever, but he confuses the past and the present. And apparently it's just a terrible movie. It's only got 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. And like it's the sort of thing that they might have shifted it to video on demand regardless of whether the theaters were open if it was i think it's one of those it's kind of borderline kind of movie but again uh it's uh our buddy what's his name tom hardy in a whole bunch of makeup and he's like virtually unrecognizable the only time you see that guy on screen 
as looking like himself as when he's being like interviewed on a late show or something. Yeah, the makeup looks tremendous. He has put on a he put on a bunch of weight as well for the role. But I mean, that's he's no stranger to that. He added over thirty pounds of muscle to play Batman's villain Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, he also bulked up for movies like Venom and Bronson and Warrior when he played a mixed martial artist. So Tom Hardy is one of those actors like Christian Bale. He will transform himself for a role. Yeah. Too bad it's not getting the best reviews. And then just very quickly here, what else is coming to uh, Blu-ray and DVD? next week we got sonic the hedgehog and we've got the onward that's the pixar pixar movie that's already on disney plus anyways right yep so i guess if you don't have disney plus but you really want to see onward you could get the blu-ray and then uh the complete series of one of our favorite shows the good place if you're a completist and you want all the dvds for that that comes out on tuesday as well coming up next we will have reviews of a couple of things on netflix season two of a popular black comedy and david spade in something that actually i kind of want to watch after watching the trailer details next you are listening to the couch potatoes I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. Season 2 of a popular show debuted last weekend on Netflix. We previewed it here on The Couch Potatoes. Uh, Just a little quick preview. And I have watched most of it. I watched Season 1, and I watched seven and a half episodes of Season 2 this week. It is called Dead to Me. Welcome to Friends of Heaven. Looks like we have some new people here today. I'm Judy. Jen. I hope this isn't weird. Can I give you a hug? No. Okay. I lost my fiance eight weeks ago. It was really sudden. Since Ted died, I haven't been sleeping. Not at all. Hey, I'm off all night. Feel free to call me and we can not sleep together. Hi. Did you get it? Is that him? No, that's my other husband. Oh, you have another one? Then you're fine. Are you in bed? Yeah. What are you wearing? A pair of sweatpants. You're a weird person, Judy. That is a clip from season one of Dead to Me. Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini play two recently widowed women who bond during therapy. It's a black comedy drama. Applegate's character is in a dark, angry place. Cardellini is trying to be upbeat, but she's got a dark secret. And that's pretty much all I can tell you about the plot without giving anything away because things move pretty quickly in terms of the plot in this show. So again... Two seasons, ten episodes each, roughly around a half hour a pop. So it's not a super long binge to get through the two seasons. I would have finished season two on Wednesday. I started season two on Wednesday, uh, but I had to pull the plug because I forgot Survivor was on. and It was a three-hour finale, so I had to bail out and start watching Survivor. So that's why I got through seven and a half episodes instead of eight or nine or even the full ten because I looked at the clock and thought, oh my God, Survivor, I got to get going on this. It's excellent. Dead to Me is an excellent show. Christina Applegate, is delivering career best work. And she, like, she's been so great over the years. You remember that show she was in with uh, Will Arnett? I'm just trying to remember that one. Yep, where they were husband and wife. Yeah, Up All Night was the show. That's it. Yeah, that was pretty good. They yeah. were uh, new parents in it. That's what the deal was with that one. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, so it debuted in 2011, and it, uh, it only lasted two seasons on NBC. Uh, I think it ran out... I think it just ran out of gas story-wise, but her performance was good in that. But she is great in this. She is so angry and so 
broken. You truly feel for her and you relate to her pain and her struggles as she tries to deal with her grief and life as a single parent, her annoying mother-in-law, bills, etc., etc. And she is delightfully foul. She swears a lot and she sounds good swearing. You know how some actors can't pull it off? Uh, She is just a natural. Cardellini, I had to admit I am not familiar with her Although looking at her list of credits, I, I should be familiar with her because, uh, well, she did. She played Velma, for example, in the 2002 Scooby-Doo movie. Weird that we're mentioning Scooby-Doo twice in one episode of the Couch Potatoes at Random. <laughs> she played Cassie in Brokeback Mountain. I never saw that movie, so I don't know how big a role Cassie was. Do you recall a character named Cassie, Jeff? Uh, no, I, I mean... He- there were two wives in that movie, and she wasn't one of them. I don't recall at all her in that movie. Okay. She played Laura Barton in Avengers Endgame. That's Hawkeye's wife. Very small role, but uh, it's a critical sort of part, at least, of the story. She's also in that Capone movie, apparently, as someone named May. <laughs> She's in a couple of other things that we've seen, too. She had a role in that movie, A Simple Favor, with Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick, uh, which we both... You watched that movie, right? Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that was fun. And she's even part of the Butlerverse, Jeff. She was in that Gerard Butler movie, Hunter Killer. Uh, but you don't see anyone else when Jerry Butler's on screen. Come on. <laughs> have you watched Hunter Killer? I can't remember. I have, yeah. We talked about Hunter Killer. That's a submarine movie. She's barely in it. Okay. And apparently she also had a recurring role in Mad Men, and she was Jessica's sister in New Girl. So that, And I guess that note, the fact that she's related to that character, Jessica Day, uh, sort of works with her character in this. And But as the point I'm making is I might as well have been seeing her for the first time. I was super familiar with Christina Applegate going all the way back to Married with Children. Uh, Linda Cardellini knew nothing about her, but she's great. She's so light and kind and bubbly and free-spirited very expressive face she's funny and uh, this show is very serious at times but when it's funny it's very funny its dialogue is razor sharp and i also wanted to point this out one of my friends tweeted this quote i wondered why the dialogue in dead to me was so relatable and real so i had to see who writes this show oh it's women writing in the voices and experience of experiences of women hot damn it's refreshing i can't really comment to that obviously but i do recognize that this show has a different feel than other shows it does feel refreshing and i've checked with a couple of other women who agree with that notion Uh, so if you're a woman looking for a show that speaks to you through a female voice then maybe you want to check out this show i mentioned last week by the way that season one was said to have an explosive ending i can confirm that and season two kicks off in similarly shocking fashion actually also interesting to point out the the major event of the first season is slowly revealed in bits and pieces through the 10 episodes and then there's another big event that is slowly being revealed through season two and the first episodes in both seasons end with big surprises so i'm not sure if that's going to be the format or the recipe moving forward with additional seasons but so far i'm enjoying that narrative structure and its consistency it doesn't feel gimmicky yet great supporting cast by the way including james marsden and even the kid actors are solid jeff so i would definitely recommend dead to me to anybody who likes good television i'm anxious 
to get home and finish season two and then wait a year or more for season three and forget uh, most of what's happened in those first two seasons. So there you go. Dead to me. It's yeah. awesome. Isn't that always the way I forget everything between seasons two when you have to wait so long? Well, especially when uh, you watch it in a binge. Out. Yeah, because you just don't retain anything. You're just uh, on that mission and you're so focused that nothing really gets to seep in and, and like set roots down because you're just blasting through it. Yeah. I watched the new David Spade Netflix movie this week, believe it or not. It's called The Wrong Missy. Yeah! I've got this girl meeting me here and she's amazing. <laughs> Missy, what are you doing here? That text from you was wonderful. I screwed up so huge. Remember that crazy blind date I had? Nothing you could ever do would disappoint me. I love you. This whole time I thought I was texting my dream girl. <laughs> I was texting that crazy girl. To the best weekend ever. Uh, apologies, by the way, Jeff and I stepping on each other here. We can't see each other. Just a reminder, Jeff is working from home during the pandemic, and there's a slight delay <laughs> on his end, so we can't see each other. And uh, if we start talking at the same time, or he'll, he'll, I'll start talking, and then he hears me like a half second later. So, uh, whoops. Anyway, carry on, Jeff. Will do. Yeah, it happens. What are you going to do about it? It keeps us on our toes. My go-tos for entertainment during this pandemic, Brett, uh, in addition to what is now the great Cheers we watch, have been rom-coms and 80s and 90s action movies or dad movies. For example, I saw for the first time in the last couple of weeks, While You Were Sleeping, starring Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman, and Crimson Tide, starring Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. Both great, especially While You Were Sleeping. It's on Disney+, and I highly recommend that. So when I saw this David Spade movie pop up on Netflix, it just came out Tuesday this week. Uh, it sort of scratched my nostalgia itch. I've never been a huge David Spade fan, but I like a lot of his friends, and he paired well with Chris Farley, of course, in the 90s a couple of times. So the nostalgia was really for the era. And his co-star is Lauren Lapkus, who you will recognize even if you, if you don't uh, know the name. She's had bit parts and everything. She was Stuart's girlfriend, Denise, for the last little run of the Big Bang Theory there. She's also a very funny improv comic and podcaster, so she was another point in this movie's favors, and it was short and I had time, so I said, why not? I'll watch it. And I went in with the lowest of expectations. And I'm still not entirely sure what happened. This is a pretty terrible movie. And it made me <laughs> laugh out loud throughout. So, I mean, Spade plays the, the same guy he always plays. He's this kind of sad sack loser dude. And he works for a banking firm or institution of some sort. It's just his boring office job. And there's a promotion on the line if he can impress his boss at this upcoming corporate retreat in Hawaii, which is another point in the movie's favor because I'm a sucker for stuff set in Hawaii. And uh, he's single. He meets a woman named Melissa or Missy on a blind date set up by his grandmother. Now, let's parse that for a second because I look it up. David Spade is 55 years old. Not only is he 15 years too old to be in a rom-com period, it's also weird to see a man that old refer to a still living grandparent. My apologies if you have a 55-year-old grandson or granddaughter, but it doesn't happen a lot. I was like, wait, what? Is he pretending he's 30 or something? I don't know. Lapkus plays Missy, and she's really out there. She walks around with a giant knife. She visits 
you in the bathroom stall at the restaurant. She screams F-bombs at strangers in the restaurant. She's, and he's mortified by her crazy behavior. And then a little while later, he meets another woman named Melissa. She's beautiful and smart, and they have common interests. And then they make out, and he gives her his number. And if you don't see where this is going, you've never been to the movies before. So he starts texting with the crazy Melissa, who he believes is the crazy hot Melissa. And he invites her to be his date on the company retreat to Hawaii. Now, the wrong Missy meets him on the airplane. He's already in the plane when she shows up, which I uh, didn't buy at all. And he, at that point, has to just go with it. Hijinks ensue. She acts like a lunatic the whole time, and then in the third act, turns out to have uh, a bunch of humanity just out of the blue, so the movie can do what movies must do and have a proper ending. And there you have it. It's very by the numbers, structure-wise. They aren't reinventing the wheel here at all. It's actually pretty lazy. Uh, I will give it one and a half couch cushions out of five on that front. However... I laughed myself hoarse at all the stupid jokes. I can't repeat any of them because they're filthy or, or sort of spoilery. It's more fun to have the jokes just come at you out of nowhere. But it's mostly like bodily fluid jokes, sex jokes, all these tasteless jokes. And Lapka saves this movie. It's a tour de force performance on her part. She's just fearless about it. Spade actually made me laugh a bunch too, as did his friend, played by Nick Swardson, who I've never really liked. Um, his boss is played by the guy who's like the chief on Dexter, and he's funny too. And Spade's competition for the promotion is actually played by Jackie Sandler, and when I saw that name, I was like, I looked it up, and yeah, turns out that's Adam Sandler's wife, and I think this is a Happy Madison production, so this is Adam Sandler's company and frankly that's why it's set in hawaii because they came up with this movie and said let's do it in hawaii and then they all got to go to hawaii for two months because that's how, that's literally how he operates and adam sandler is happy to admit that to you he's like i just want to get jobs for my friends so we can live the good life and have fun doing it and so of course rob schneider shows up in this movie as well because he's in their gang so i, I don't know how to explain it maybe Eight weeks of mostly isolation is getting to me, but God help me, I enjoyed this movie, Brett, and I can't guarantee anyone else will. Don't watch it and get mad that you thought it was too stupid, because I'm telling you now, it's stupid. It's not a great movie, but I laughed and laughed and laughed. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for The Wrong Missy on Netflix. It does look fun. I admit it looks fun, so I am curious to check it out. And you said it's a short movie, so what the heck. Uh, once yeah. I finish uh, Dead to Me, maybe I will give it a spin. Heads up that the final two episodes of one of the most popular shows in the land will arrive on Monday. But maybe you want to look at it through a slightly different lens. We'll explain why next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. A few minutes now to wrap up the show. A couple of things we want to get to. And for me, the first one here, the film version of Hamilton, the Broadway play, will be released to the streaming service Disney Plus this summer. My name is Alexander Hamilton. The live capture version of the Broadway show Hamilton was supposed to hit theaters in October of next year. The Walt Disney Company says it will release the movie to Disney TV Plus starting July 3rd. It will feature the original Broadway cast, including creator Lin-Manuel Miranda as Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton. Miranda says in a statement he's so proud of the show and he can't wait for people to see it. I'm Archie Zaraleta. 
So Hamilton's been the biggest thing on Broadway for years now, and I've, I've been curious about it. I'm not a huge Broadway guy. I don't really like musicals or whatever. And if this had come to movie theaters, I doubt very much I would have paid money to watch it. But I'm actually excited that it's coming to Disney Plus just so I can see what all the what the fuss is all about because this thing's been a force for years. You hear about it all the time. Yeah, and I'm curious about the film, but I really want to see this show because they they do traveling shows for big productions like this from time to time like book of mormon rolled through town a few years ago and i had heard so much about that over the years that's the one from the south park guys and uh it was spectacular so i would very much like to see the the live show for hamilton so i kind of feel like watching the movie first will ruin it but uh I don't know. I also have a poor memory, so uh, chances are by the time it does roll through town, I'll forget the movie and I'll be able to enjoy it. But that's a big, big move for Disney Plus because that, uh, that's a movie where I think had a studio released it for purchase or rent, it would have made a lot of money. But instead, they're throwing all their chips into the Disney Plus uh, basket and uh, hoping that they'll get even more streamers, Jeff. I think it'll help, too, because uh, it's, it's something It's a giant screaming headline that says hey it's not just kids stuff over on disney plus good point good point and to wrap up the show we just want to quickly touch on the last dance i just want the chicago bulls to be respected as a team once i was committed i was committed i had a chance to do it over again i wouldn't change it this is something that we never thought would happen So the final two episodes of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, air this weekend on ESPN. They air on Sunday, which means they will be released on Netflix in Canada on Monday. As entertainment, this show is amazing. We talked about last week how we both can't wait to get home after work on Monday to watch the episodes. It's got 97% from the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 95% audience score. But I just wanted to point this out in case you're looking at this as some sort of a, like, a, like the be-all documentary, uh, the definitive story of Michael Jordan, as it were, uh, because The Guardian wrote an article and the headline is simply, The Last Dance is the Michael Jordan documentary a dressed up puff piece and it points out that Jordan's production company Jump 23 is among the co-producers behind the project and there are some players like Craig Hodges who was uh he was he was sort of a role player for the Bulls he was a three-point shooter and uh, he spoke out against Jordan or criticized Jordan. He's not in this at all. I haven't seen him. They, <laughs> they, they simply did not include him in the documentary. And then another article, uh, this one from something called thenation.com. The headline is The Unfortunate Ugliness of the Last Dance. And it, it points out how the show vilifies and essentially bullies Jerry Krause, the late general manager of the Chicago Bulls. So yeah, I, that kind of made me go, oh yeah, that's, that is sort of gross like it describes it as gross and now i feel sort of gross for having been even enjoying that component of the show so just wanted to point it out there but again it is so entertaining so much fun i think i might actually watch this again once all 10 episodes are out that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes and remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother (laughs) 